Hi, welcome to episode number one of Hack Hustle and Design. Hack Hustle and Design is hosted by myself, Adam Klink, and Andrew Ryan of BoltSource. BoltSource partners with companies to build amazing digital experiences, and we've been doing so with Fortune 500 companies all the way down to seed-rounded startups. Check us out at boltsource.io. On today's show, we have Falco Butler, the VP of Engineering from Plush Care. Yes, I'm, I'm really enjoying being here right now. <laughs> well, great. We're super excited to have you on today. So why don't you start off by telling the audience a little bit about what you're doing today and then go back in your career and talk about where your journey began. Sure. So yeah, PlushCare is a, a virtual primary care provider. Uh, or also telehealth is kind of the, the, the term you hear a lot right now. So we provide a doctor visit online via video and it's, it's high quality doctors. It's doctors from top uh, 50 medical schools. We do it nationwide for insured and uninsured patients, uh, really enabling care for, for people all over the country and making it really easier to access and, and more convenient. And, um, yeah, my, my journey to get to plush care really started. Back in Germany, where I'm originally from, uh, studied computer science there, and and right after after I graduated, got into the medical field right away. I worked on a cancer detection and diagnosis uh, workstation, and that 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 really picked my interest in in using software for something good um, and something useful. And so I continued doing that for a few years, and that actually that company also. Um, started opening an office in the U.S., so that brought me uh, to the Midwest, continued working on that product and extending it to different cancer types. And but then Apple came out with the iPhone, and I said, ah, let, let, me, let me see what I can do with that. I've never built anything for mobile before, but it but seemed really interesting. And my wife was losing weight because we had our first child, and so we, we sat together and, and built an app that is called Calorie Guard, and it's for calorie tracking and activity tracking. And it was really meant as an, as an idea and a hobby and throw it out there to, to get the word out. And then it uh, quickly became very viral, picked up pretty quickly. And ultimately, it ended up we had over a million uh, paid downloads of the app. So it was really, really successful and was uh, mostly in Europe, but also like worldwide, obviously. So that, that really kind of shifted my, my focus on mobile. Now I wanted to do more, more with mobile. This was successful and I was really excited about it. So I moved to Silicon Valley and joined an early stage startup. And that's also where, where I met Andrew, a company called GIF, uh, was employee number 10. And we were working on health apps initially, and then we, we pivoted to uh, health um, and well-being for uh, employees of large uh, or self-insured employers, so typically Fortune 500 companies. The company grew pretty rapidly from like 10 people when I joined to almost 200 people. Uh, then we got acquired by Castlight Health, uh, which is a publicly traded company in San Francisco. And I, um, I transitioned to Castlight through the acquisition, I stayed on for another two years, but then really wanted to go back to an earlier stage startup that was in growth mode, was early enough that I feel I can come in and, and help build a team, build a product, bring a product from prototypical stage to, to production. And that has a very strong mobile focus as well. So I got in touch with PlushCare, and, and that really was a perfect fit. They were like a Series A back startup. The engineering team was pretty much four or five people. They had a, a really good product that people loved, 
and they just went nationwide, but it was still fairly prototypical from a development process. So I joined them in November 2018 and then rapidly started hiring there. And, and now we, we have more than 25 people in engineering and also the company is obviously a lot bigger now. Great. Sounds like an exciting journey. And like I was telling Falco before we even got on this, I, I'm actually a user of Plush Care and I started using it probably about a month ago and the quality is just like top notch. I think I think you really hit the nail on the head with it's the apple of telehealth. The experience is great. The quality is great. So hats off to you and your team over there. So I heard you mention GIF and I know Andrew used to work at GIF. So is that where you and Andrew first met and uh, where your relationship started? I, I hired Andrew at GIF um, and Andrew helped, helped really work building the the like the first version of a web application and then they will build a team around that as well and then eventually andrew left and went to collective and i i stayed on uh, but we, we always stayed connected <laughs> since since we were in the same area <laughs> <laughs> yeah i like to tell people that falco was like the best boss i've ever had he's stellar at managing engineers so <laughs> <laughs> boss yeah, I think people really just get an itch for that early stage startup. Um, I worked with a previous boss of mine who that's typically what he does. He'll go grow companies. And then once they get to a certain number of employees um, or goals that they've completed, he'll essentially go to another startup and help them grow as well. So I think there's a lot of fun in that. Um, I, I feel like I'm kind of that way as well. I like being able to wear multiple hats and get out there and really help grow teams at a high rate. When, when you're in an earlier stage startup, like one, you, you can wear and you will wear multiple hats. Uh, your, your impact, you feel it uh, like early on and immediately. It, it doesn't take months or years un until you see something. It's, it's immediate. And, and really, you, you have a lot of yeah, impact also on the direction of the company. Like, the, the shape of the product, how to develop the product, who your customer will be or should be. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really exciting. I have to ask, because I'm the engineer in the room, what is what is Plush Care's tech stack look like? Sure. So on the tech stack side, so we have a Python with Django on the back end. Uh, we have a React application. So we have two React applications. One is what is like when you go to plushcare.com, um, and the, initially you see WordPress, so the marketing part of our website, it's, it's WordPress. But once you go into the logged in or the registered user experience and you book an appointment or you have your appointment, that's all a React application. And then uh, also our the doctor site is completely homegrown. Uh, so our doctors also use a React application uh, to see their schedule, to join the appointments and to, to take notes. Um, and then we have one Node.js service um, and then our application. So the iOS app is, is native with Swift and the Android app is also native. And we use Kotlin uh, for that, which is kind of the successor of Java that was developed by Google. Yeah, it's like Java's uh, prettier younger brother. I've heard of it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it's kind of like Swift is the prettier longer, younger brother of Objective-C. So, yeah. Nice. So what, what made you guys go um, fully native? Just did you want to deliver a, a very clean, crisp um, experience for the user? Is that why you ended up picking going native with Swift on iOS? 
Yes, I mean, I, I obviously had a, a strong bias towards native being being in the in the mobile world for a while, but also I've had negative experience with not going going native. Uh, so at, at at GIF, for example, we had a native iOS app and we had a hybrid Cordova based um, application for Android. And supporting that was really painful. Yes, it, <laughs> I can imagine. It, it was. It, it wasn't quite as polished. It was slower. It was a lot harder to to build kind of hardware or close to hardware integrations, and and ultimately took a lot more effort than you thought it would be. At, at Plushcare, they had native applications when I got there, but they were. They weren't in a very good state. They were slow. They were buggy. They were like crashing. And so we decided to actually start over for both Android and iOS. So we started completely fresh in early 2019 and we rebuilt the iOS and the Android apps from scratch um, with kind of the latest technology at the time um, and, and also really focusing on the, on the UX and, and making it snappy, making it fast, making it look good. Um, and I mean, now both, both apps have like 4.9 or 4.8 stars in the uh, App Store or Google Play Store um, and and really loved by a lot of users. Yeah, so obviously it depends so much on uh, the type of uh, application you're building, whether you go with native or a hybrid experience. And as you said, you've you've had uh, good experiences and bad experiences with both. Uh, but, you know, as, as we make these decisions as a group or a company, it really comes down to maybe your engineering skill set that you have on your team or uh, the type of application that you're building. Is it heavy intensive on like GPS waypoints and things like that where it may make sense to have a native application? So, uh, so yeah, I, I think the industry as a whole would agree with some of the points that you made earlier. Yeah, so let's let's transition over into what you've learned throughout your career and what advice would you give your younger self to maybe move up that ladder faster or just put yourself in a better position? Um, I think one is when you are adopting a new technology, taking a little bit more time evaluating whether it's ready to be taking on in an enterprise environment. And that is especially true when it comes to web technologies. Web technologies are evolving very, very quickly. So every three to six months, there's a new framework or a new tool that is available. And and it looks shiny and it looks great. And, and you want to try it right away. <laughs> um, but, but there's a difference whether you build like a prototype or you're working on some hobby project at home or whether you build something within an organization that is like selling this to hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of users. Um, you, you, you will have to be a little conservative. But I also believe that you should be picking whatever is the most modern language or most modern tool that is already considered stable. So now React, for example, is, is obviously a very safe choice. It's being used by, a, by many large and small organizations. There's a large uh, community around it. Um, but I, I wouldn't pick something that just got developed a few months ago and I don't know where it's going and there's not uh, good support and maybe it's also not as stable and there may be bugs in the framework and you definitely don't want to spend your time fixing bugs in the framework that you're using rather than fixing bugs in your own application. Yeah, I think those are some really solid points. Andrew and I do uh, advising for some startups and 
you know, that's that's one of the things we talk about a lot is don't go after the shiny new technology. So I, I think that's a really, really solid example of some things, especially when you're younger in your career to pay attention to. So let's transition over to the industry as a whole. Um, You've spent a lot of your career in the health tech industry. And I think just over the past, you know, 10 years, there's been so much buzz in the healthcare industry and how tech was really starting to make an entrance and start taking over. And then obviously things can be slow, painful for a number of reasons for adoption in health tech, whether it's the healthcare side of things, the consumer side of things, the data side of things. And then here comes 2020 and health tech where everything else was kind of slowing down, health tech got on a rocket and took off. And I think you're starting to see a lot of people now from the consumer side of things and um, from the healthcare side of things saying, oh, telehealth really makes a ton of sense now. So. Talk a little bit about that, how, you know, what this year has been like for your team and the industry overall. So, I mean, we've, we've obviously seen a surge of, of demand in, in telehealth this year as, as COVID hit and people did not either couldn't go to their doctor anymore because they were closed or didn't feel comfortable getting out of the house uh, to, to reduce exposure. And um, so, so we've seen a, a surge in demand and we had to actually quickly ramp up uh, our doctor, uh, like adding more doctors to our network to, to uh, meet the demand. Um, and, but what also happened this year is a lot of things on the regulatory side when, like, were decided very quickly that typically takes years to make changes. As an example, typically as a doctor, you can only practice in a state you're licensed in. Someone who, a doctor who is licensed in California cannot treat patients in Texas or in New York or in Alaska or anywhere else. And, and, and like today, that isn't, doesn't really make a lot of sense anymore as we are all global citizens or, or, like, or like working from wherever we are and connected throughout the whole world. It doesn't really make sense that you can only practice in one state. But as uh, states uh, declared state of emergency, they they suddenly moved on this and um, and some of them are temporary and some of them are more permanent. But now our doctors were actually able uh, to practice in other states as well. I think Texas was one, New York was one, where any doctor who was licensed in any other state can apply for emergency license and then can help patients in Texas and New York and in other states. So that's one. The other one is on the insurance side. Insurances for the longest time have blocked or denied payments. Uh, for claims that come from telehealth companies. And it was a little bit of a cat and mouse game. We, we tried our best to, to do the best services we can, but also get uh, reimbursed for it uh, through insurance. Um, and now finally, insur- uh, like big payers like United Healthcare and others have given in and, and officially accept a claim from telehealth companies and pay them. They have paid them before, but it was more like a gray area where sometimes they paid, sometimes we're not. But now it's a lot more clear of what they are paying for and what they are not paying for, which ultimately is, is a, not a big win just for plush care and other telehealth companies, but, but really for everyone, because now there's, there's more uh, price guarantee and, and, um, and, and definitely better access for, for all patients in the U.S. Yeah, and I've even seen some insurance companies start to adopt these. Um, you know, I know Blue Cross Blue Shield, for example, has um, 
some telehealth platform. Um, now, obviously, the experience doesn't really come close to what companies that are only focusing on this have. So, um, you know, I, I think it's I think this is like we, we always a lot of people have talked about what are the good things that are going to come from 2020 and COVID. And I, I think this is one of them is where telehealth is really taking off in, in this space and it's going to provide care for people and um, just be a better overall experience for people in the end. Yes. And it's applied to all kinds of different fields. Like physical therapies is one that I never right. thought about being, being virtual, but now there are companies trying that. And mental health is obviously a very big area that was really ripe for, for going virtual and, and Plush Care is now also providing mental health services. Okay. In, in fact, during COVID, uh, the demand for that really spiked because people are at home, are locked in, uh, are anxious or depressed because they can't connect to other people or they're afraid that something may be happening to them. Yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. So as far as Plush Care goes, is that, um, is, are there different mediums of communication? So like, it, are, are telehealth companies allowed to like, use SMS messages? Are they only allowed to use video? Can they do phone calls? Like, talk a little bit more about the regulatory um, changes that are going on in the space. So typically, um, in, in most states, it, it, it has to be a video call for the actual consultation. Um, there is, there's always a fallback to, to phone in, in case there are technical uh, issues, like either the doctor or the patient have issues to connect, then we will fall back to phone because we obviously still want to help the patient. But, but ideally, we, we establish a video connection. There are certain services that you can now also provide asynchronously where you don't actually need to see the doctor and you may have to fill out a form. You submit the form, a doctor reviews it at their own time and then makes a recommendation, for example, for prescription renewals or for receiving certain prescriptions. So there are some companies that are specialized just on that. You never actually see the doctor, you fill out a form and then you, you end up with a prescription. Uh, we don't, uh, we, I mean, we, we want to see the patient and we want to kind of provide the best care. Um, but for, for renewals, for example, that makes a lot of sense. You had this prescription before, you want to get a renewal, you don't necessarily need to see the doctor again. Uh, we also provide, uh, so on the Plashcore side, we, we have um, like an instant messaging system, essentially. But it's a HIPAA-compliant uh, system. It's built inside of the app. You can chat with your doctor or the care team. Um, let's say you have a question after your visit or you just want to know something before you schedule a visit. Is it worth scheduling a visit? And we are helping you. Um, and response time is, 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 is fantastic. So it's, it can be within minutes, but like within hours, you, you certainly hear back and it's, a, it's, a, it's super convenient. Yeah. And I can attest to that because I've done it twice now. So <laughs> they, they were, I think there's like four people in the chat um, and, and they're pretty much spot on uh, as soon as you message. So yeah, it, it's been a great, great experience. Um, so as far as like the industry as a whole, um, you know, you look at the past 10 years, it was kind of moving slow as a dinosaur. And now you got 2020, which is really expediting that. What do you think this industry looks like over the next 10 years that maybe people aren't necessarily talking about, but you being in that space really kind of understand and know about? I think one thing that, that I see happening is that, uh, so for the longest time, your, your medical record was very siloed. You went to Dr. A, they write something down. You walk to Dr. B, they write something down and they never communicated to each other. And it wasn't really 
they weren't even able to pull the data from from that other doctor. Now, and once you get into the like larger systems like Kaiser Permanente here in California, for example, they have one central um, medical record. But now you go to let's say physical therapy outside of that network, and now again they don't have that data. So I think one one is 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 really making it more accessible that that your medical record. Um, yeah, it's accessible to other providers, obviously with your permission. You you don't want them to just access your data. But in terms of care across different systems, it, it will be a lot smoother for you. You don't have to repeat yourself. Um, there will be less mistakes in terms of medications that you may have had in the past and that didn't work. You obviously don't want them to prescribe it again, um, etc. So that is one. And then obviously it will be more and more, um, like there will be more and more like telehealth kind of services where you don't actually need to come in. Um, so, and that will be across the board. Um, and um, and I think lastly, I think on the, I mean, the, the computing power is obviously getting better and better. So when it comes to diagnosis and surgeries, a lot of, uh, like there will be a lot of more uh, AI involved in, in, in that AI helping diagnosing um, like more, more tricky cases and AI in like uh, uh, surgery planning, for example. Yeah, so I think that's where the really exciting piece comes in here. There's so much opportunity from just, you know, the meshing of all the data from different doctor's offices, hospital networks um, to the AI side of things that help doctors predict whether somebody uh, has a higher risk of, of cancer that they weren't normally able to predict through blood work or x-rays or CT scans. So I think that's the really exciting stuff to see. And I, I think you're gonna see a lot more people get involved in this health tech space as the regulations hopefully decrease a little bit to allow for some of this great innovation that can happen in this space. And, you know, I think another huge win in this space, and it's a fairly easy one, is to, you know, just digitize all of the paperwork. Uh, there's still many doctor's offices that I walk into where I have to fill out the same piece of paper four different times with the same information on it. So I think there are some really, really easy wins in this that doctor's offices and, um, you know, urgent cares can adopt very easily. No, that, that's true. And like I, I recently learned that Kaiser Permanente's uh, medical record system is still running in a mainframe. So that, that shows you how outdated some of these Well, yeah. Um, Next up, we'll have to have Kaiser CTO on here to rebuttal uh, Falco's statement there. <laughs> <laughs> what I also learned is that Kaiser Permanente is actually not just one Kaiser Permanente. There's actually a group of different networks that were essentially acquired together and they actually have... A, a whole different like all kinds of different technology that is not necessarily compatible so and that kaiser's like the the yeah. cadillac of healthcare providers too i've i've never had a better experience than kaiser in terms of my healthcare i i do miss that about the west coast it's yeah. very integrated yes yeah, yeah it's it's very integrated are they a california company Yes. I mean, they, they are mostly in California. They're also in Colorado and in, I think, Washington State. Uh, okay. But yeah, not nationwide. Yeah, I thought when I lived in Denver, they had a ton of offices out there, but I've never seen it anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. So. One, one medical is one that is like now like the even more modern version of that with, with uh, like inpatient oh, care. Wow. They actually have physical locations. 
Um, okay. Okay. Nice. So, so yeah, on to the third segment. So, um, and this is a little bit different than what we've been talking about. And, and Andrew and I really went back and forth with what we wanted this podcast to mean and what we wanted to talk to people like yourself about. And with Hack, Hustle and Design, it really follows, you know, the hacking being an engineer, the hustle being like that business development and then design, obviously product design and so on. So, uh, you, you know, you've been an engineer your pretty much your entire career with that leadership involved as well. So talk about some of the hacks that you've kind of gone through and that you've learned from maybe other people, other mentors, whether that be a side project, a life hack or a leadership hack or work-life balance. So share some of the tips and tricks that you've kind of learned along your career that you may be able to share with our listeners. Sure. I mean, in terms of uh, like a, a, like, a, a true hack in the sense of an engineering hack when it, when it comes to hacking together some code to make something work. And I think Andrew was actually involved in this, so he, 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 he may know this as well. But <laughs> at, at GIF, we, we were pivoting because we were trying to figure out what, what we actually wanted to become as a company. So we, we got in touch with a company called Towers Watson. They are a large like, channel that um, like provides healthcare services and other kinds of benefits to Fortune 500 companies. And we wanted to get them excited about what we wanted to do. So we, we hacked together this health challenge. It was actually had a spy theme. Um, it was very, very custom just for, for Towers Watson. <laughs> <laughs> and we hacked this together in, in a few weeks, um, and um, it, and it was a, a huge success. And obviously, under the hood, it was all like crooked, and it didn't look right, and it was certainly not something we would would could ever scale. It was super super custom from a design perspective as well, but it had a very unique storyline, and and the, the Towers Watson. Um, Decision makers, they really loved it and they launched it within the company and then like a few thousand people have used it and they loved it. And, and ultimately that in, like, enabled us to roll it out with more Towers Watson customers. And they, they were like big, big Fortune 500 companies. And that really, that moment really changed the direction of that company speaking of, um, and helped us uh, grow quite a bit from there. Speaking of hacks with that, do you remember the data dumpster? Yeah, go ahead. That the... Uh... The back, yes. so the back end <laughs> team had decided that that this was the right time to refactor the entire Rails application into little microservices. Um, and because they were in the middle of that, they had no yes. capacity to actually add back end functionality for the project. Um, so they gave us a data dumpster, which was basically like a an endpoint, like an API endpoint that we could access that would store anything we wanted. So, and it would be specific to that user. Mm. So <laughs> like a lot of this application was us building things on the front end that should have been on the back end and then using the data dumpster as a place to store the data yeah. that should be in the actual database, which was a terrible hack that I've, yeah. yeah. I still have like PTSD from yeah. that. So. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was obviously a, a very terrible hack when it comes to technology, but in this, in this case, it, it was really necessary to, to move really fast to, sh to show off what we wanted to do with them. So yeah, right. definitely not something sustainable for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that, that sounds like a pretty good hack then. Um, <laughs> if it, if it changed, you know, the trajectory of the company. So um, it's always those risks you got to take. Yes. Yeah. And, and maybe a, a, like a, a leadership hack or, or really a time management hack is um, I, 
Like I, I structure my day very well. Like one, I really like to get a, a, a pattern, a, a repeating pattern of when do I start, what do I do in the morning, what do I do in the afternoon, and then really plan that out. Um, and even um, be and, and be very strict about getting getting like that done within that time frame. And if you don't get it done, then like um, unless it's super important, then um, then move on to the next one. And also making sure what is what is important versus urgent because not everything that that is urgent is important um, and you still need to focus on what's what's really important to to move forward um and yeah not keeping uh, yeah, keeping that always in sight um rather than just focusing on whatever is urgent and uh, as like as you are in a, in a growing company there are obviously lots of things that are breaking all over the place because you're growing and then scaling rapidly um and you you need to make sure to focus on the ones that are that that make or break and are, are really important to fix, as well as focusing on the long term strategy rather than just on the here and then. Uh, otherwise, you you end up like let's say you fix every single bug you find that may not be the right strategy. You want to fix the important ones and and continue building new product. Yeah, we actually have a little bit of experience with that right now. So, you know, really focusing on delivering value quickly to the end user, um, you know, that high value, low effort type of stuff uh, that you can get out the door very, very fast. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're learning all about that right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the hard way. So, it's not so um, <laughs> Yes, the hard way. <laughs> Yeah, so with this being the uh, last, I guess you could say, serious question we have here for today, uh, with with Andrew and I being a part of Bolt Source, a software agency, what has been your experience working with software agencies in the past? Just give us, you know, the best experience you've had and uh, the worst experience you've had. I think the the best thing is if if you work with a, a talented group of engineers that. Um, can think for themselves and, and really challenge, like you, you give them a project and you work with them because you don't have enough resources and you want to get something out more quickly. Um, so a, a team that, that takes it not as granted whatever you give them, but really thinks it through with you, gives feedback, makes suggestions, and then work on it and work as part of an integrated team rather than a silo. Um, so that that is where I see this really succeed when when it's not a team of five somewhere else that is working on the thing and maybe once or twice a week reports what's happening, but really working very, very closely with the team. For example, being on the same Slack channels, being on the stand-ups with everyone else, etc. I think then it's when it's working really successful. Uh, on the flip side, uh, what I've seen when it doesn't work is, yeah, when, when they're siloed, when when it's really meant as you write one big functional specification and they work on it and they do exactly what I mean. They do it exactly like it is written, and they and and they they just and obviously a specification is never perfect. So right. and then they just make up the difference rather than asking you. Um, and then then it doesn't go very well. 
Um, or if, if I mean, I, what I've also had in, in the past is, um, and this was early on in my career, and I should have known better, but essentially I, I hired a team and they said they were very proficient in this technology. And then I started working with them and then it quickly turned out they weren't really, and they were struggling themselves. And obviously that is, that is not a good combination either. No, we, uh, we know exactly the kind of dynamic you're talking about right now, intimately. So, yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting. I would actually argue, like, the need for a specification should be as minimal as possible. Like, like it should be, and that's what yes. we strive for at Bolt Source, kind of what you just, actually exactly what you just described, self-starting. They come to the table with, like, product-level recommendations. They're thinking about user experience. They're thinking about how their engineering choices impact user experience. So they're pragmatic about what's really important from an engineering standpoint, not just, oh, shiny tool. It's more like, oh, how do we make the product shiny for the mm -hmm. user, right? Um, and like, they should be working with yes. you on a daily basis. Um, that way the specific need for specifications should be minimal because they should understand your product. They should be working with you to iterate on what it should be. Right. Yeah. Um, not just like, oh, please give me a specification and I'll give you a quote. That, I've never seen that go well um, at no. all. So kind of on the same line of what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, so we'll end on a lighter note here. So since you're from Germany, I'd love to hear what the U.S. needs to adopt that you love about Germany. Healthcare. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Without becoming political here, but yeah, the, the, the U.S. healthcare system should look... Actually, it doesn't have to look all the way to, to Germany or Europe. <laughs> it just should just on. look above the northern, <laughs> northern border and see what's going on there. Uh, because it's actually fairly similar to European systems. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot that, that uh, can be improved in the healthcare system. Uh, being, uh, being someone who loves cars, I would love if they would adopt the German uh, 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 mainly not having one on certain. I was I was in Utah actually in July, June, July, and they also had a stretch with 85 miles an hour, and I oh, had wow. like a Ford Explorer SUV. And <laughs> <made it> <laughs> hey, what it's, it's only five miles an hour over. The cops aren't going to pull you over, so it's all good, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I know, I know. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us today. It was a great talk, and we don't want to keep you too long from that sunny South Florida weather. <laughs> Thank you so much. So, yeah, thanks again for joining us, and uh, thanks everyone for listening. That concludes episode one of Hack, Hustle, and Design. Thank you to Falco Butler, the VP of Engineering of Plush Care. And thank you to BoltSource for putting on this podcast of Hack, Hustle, and Design. Check us out at boltsource.io and check out our upcoming episodes, which will be out every other week.